Blog Talk Radio. Tonight on Dr. Anonymous Show 172, my guest coming up is known on Twitter as Dr. Underscore D. His name is Dr. Brian Vederbedian. He is a pediatric gastroenterologist at Texas Children's Hospital in Houston. Dr. V and I will be panelists next week. I don't know how they got us to do that. But, uh, but we'll be at the Digital Pharma West conference in beautiful San Francisco. What's the panel about? Well, physicians and social media, of course. And we'll talk about that and a lot more coming up on the Dr. Anonymous show starting right now. show that is passionate about medicine and social media. This is the Dr. Anonymous show live on Blog Talk Radio. My name is Mike Savella and I am Dr. Anonymous. To find out more information, just type Dr. Anonymous in your favorite search engine. You can also go to dranonymous.com that brings you the most current show schedule, some blog posts, some TV interviews of me doing uh, local TV news here including this morning and I'll be posting some videos up from that. You can also go to DrAnonymous.net. Shout out to all 236 people who like the show or who are friends of the show or however Facebook does that now. Also brings you some exclusive behind-the-scenes video of me doing this show. You can also go to DrAnonymous.org. That brings you to the iTunes page. And if you can leave a, a, a comment over there, subscribe to the show. I very much appreciate that. You can also listen in real time to this show on your iPhone, including the iPhone 4. <laughs> uh, also, BlackBerry, Palm Pre, Droid, whatever mobile, de- mobile device you have, just direct your mobile browser to blogtalkradio.com slash Anonymous. Today is Thursday, June 24, 2010. It is 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central, and it is still... 76 degrees Fahrenheit here at Dr. Anonymous World Headquarters. Our guest coming up and returning back to the show will be Dr. Brian Vederbedian. He was on Dr. Anonymous show number 80 when Dr. Gwen was also here co-hosting. You can download that show at dranonymous.org. He is author of the book Colic Solved, The Essential Guide to Infant Reflux and the Care of Your Crying Difficult to Soothe Baby, He's also known on Twitter as Dr. Underscore V. His current project is 33charts.com, where he does commentary on medicine and social media. He was also at Social Health 2010 in Austin, also known as SHSH.org, which took place during the same time as the huge 
South by Southwest Conference, and it was announced recently that there will be a social health topics at uh, South by Southwest 2011. Very excited about that. And uh, also, Dr. V and I were uh, on a panel in Las Vegas at uh, Blog World Expo 2009. That was very fun. I'm very looking, uh, looking forward to next week's panel um, as well. But tonight, Dr. V and I will be talking about uh, the panel that we're going to be on next week in San Francisco at Digital Pharma West Conference. You can find out more details at that by going to exlpharma.com slash events slash digital dash pharma dash west. The panel will be Wednesday, June 30th, 2010 at the Park 55 Wyndham Hotel. So if you're in the area there, maybe come by and check that out. The title of our panel is uh, Listen to a Unique Conversation Between uh, Marketers and uh, Two Top MD Slash Social Media Activists. And uh, also on the panel will be uh, Jason Apple, Director of Physician Relationship Marketing from Amgen. Also Scott Ellis, Associate Director of New Products, Tiva, Specialty Pharmaceuticals. And also Dean Sawyer, Executive, Executive Vice President of Physicians interactive, and some of the questions that we'll be talking about, which we'll kind of open the discussion here this evening. Number one, why are there so few physicians engaged in social in the social space? Number two, communicating directly with docs online, what's working and what isn't. Number three, how to walk the delicate line between providing physicians with educational information versus marketing messages. And number four, how emerging technologies is integrated into the physician workflow and how can pharmaceutical marketers best participate. What usually happens is we talk about whatever you want to talk about on this panel, so that'll be fun. But first, I would like to thank Blog Talk Radio for featuring the show again here this evening. For those of you who are new to the show, I've been a social media hobbyist since 2005, and if you're curious, yes, I am a real physician. I am a family physician in full-time private practice here in beautiful northeastern Ohio, if you're listening live, you can see my shining face here on the webcam here uh, this evening. And before we go to the break, I want to uh, give a big shout-out to everybody in my chat room. Already a good crowd in our chat room. We do have our guest. We do have uh, Code Blog RN. We have Aaron Breedlove. We have Faith Ignited, Friggin' Ben, J-Man, Liz, MedStudent31, and Ramona all joining us live here this evening. And if you're having problems getting into the Blog Talk Radio chat room, be very patient. We'll still be here when you get here. So uh, be patient about that. So I think we'll, ta- we'll take a break right here. And on the other end of the break will be Dr. Brian Veritabedian, also known as Dr. V. You're listening to the Dr. Anonymous Show, a member of the Family Medicine Education Consortium. You can get there by going to fmec.net, a member of the Better Health Network at getbetterhealth.com, and also a a member of uh, the ProMed Network, a podcast. You can get there by going to promednetwork.com, and we'll be right back.
That's right. Lowering our blood pressure one point at a time. This is the Dr. Anonymous Show live on Block Talk Radio. And the line we have with us right now is the legendary uh, Dr. V, Brian Vetterbedian. Brian, welcome back to the show there, my friend. Hey, Mike. How are you? How are you tonight? Good, good, good. Thanks for, uh, for, thanks for being on the show. I'm very excited about tonight. I'm very excited about uh, next week being on this panel, and I uh, can't wait to talk about it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, you know, I, I really hadn't thought too much about it. We had that organizing meeting a few weeks back talking about the panel and uh, listened to you talk about it. I kind of kind of jazzed thinking about it, so I'm pumped. Uh, let's start about yeah. I was uh, I was uh, looking at your Twitter uh, last weekend, and it uh, looks like uh, you were in the uh, the great city of Chicago there uh, last weekend. Uh, what, what were you doing out there? Well, I was at a conference, uh, Healthcare New Media in in Chicago, which is basically a conference that uh, caters to to hospital marketers predominantly. But it was kind of an interesting mix, mostly mostly hospital people there, but there were some some industry folks there. Um, Medtronics and other other big representation there as well, and I was given the insight of uh, what doctors are doing in the social space and why we're there, what we're doing there, and or more importantly, why we're not there. Um, and I did want, and I did, I did mention this in the opening too, that I really wanted to go to that uh, um, Health uh, South by Southwest uh, in Austin, uh, where you were at and where you presented. Uh, Right. Um, how was that? How was how was that presenting there, and how was the experience there? I don't, how how many people were there? Do you remember? That was amazing. Yeah, I, I refer to it as South by Social Health. Everybody calls it something different, but uh, there were probably, I guess there were probably 100, maybe 125 people there, and uh, it occurred the day before South by Southwest, and it kind of arose out of the whole idea that you know South by Southwest had for so many years ignored social health or social health had kind of been on the on the back burner uh of the so, you know south by southwest curriculum and so um uh Dana Lewis and Shuen uh, Gui got together and said we need to start an unconference uh right before south by southwest and uh it it drew you know a lot of thought leaders in in health and social media and it was a uh, a great time to sit around in an unconference fashion and just jam about some of the hot issues. And then, of course, it followed in South by Southwest. I had a panel there with Jen McCabe and and um, and some others, and we really had blowout attendance at the uh, at the panel at South by Southwest. And so, between uh, the unconference that occurred the day before South by Southwest and the attendance at the handful of panels on social health. Um, I think the organizers over at uh, South by Southwest uh, realized that there really was room for a, a complete health track, which is going to occur uh, next year. We're really excited about that, and that was the, the hard work of Schwann and Dana and Tom Stitt and um, uh, Reed and others who, who kind of put this together. So it's, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you're there. Oh yeah, I definitely have to uh, to make the time to, to be there. And, and you're like speaking everywhere. I just saw today that you'll be. Uh, I think they call it Patient Con, and I think that'll be in Philadelphia in October. And uh, I just looked at that uh, speaker list uh, today, and uh, uh, you're just you're just everywhere, man. No, and it's it's you know, it's kind of exciting. Um, I I don't know what to say. I guess I the perspective of a physician in social media is is. Is kind of in demand, uh, certainly at these farmer meetings, as, as you and I know, next week. Um, 
in the industry, everybody wants to know how they can reach out to physicians in the social space. And I, I can tell you from, from my experience at South by Southwest and, and the unconference beforehand, that's, that's kind of the next big thing is how are we going to reach physicians in social. And the, the big dilemma is, and, and, and this came up last week in Chicago, these, these hospital people stood up and said to me, how do we use social media to reach out to the doc, our referral doctors in our area? And it was kind of a sad answer because I, I, you know, I was like, listen, the doctors just aren't there yet. You know, you go on Twitter, uh, there are a fair number of doctors who have Twitter accounts, but the numbers who are actually really engaging in a, in a meaningful way is, 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 is pretty small. So for the average hospital in Columbus, Ohio, or whatever, um, you have to have both sides of the, the, both parties there. The physicians have to be there. And I think the, the answer may be, uh, you know, the physician vertical or the, a facilitated physician network uh, that, that, that we're starting to see become a little bit more popular. Uh, yeah, before we get into a little bit more detail about that, I, um, I did want to talk a little bit, I guess people don't know you that well, and when you were back on the show, show number 80 here, you were uh, um, you were pr- promoting you know, another project, another blog that you were doing, and, and you wrote the book, um, and, and a lot of that was, was centered around um, you know, clinical type of things. Uh, your pediatric gastroenterologist, people who don't know what that is, I mean, it's a, a pediatrician that does a lot of uh, um, stomach GI type of work. Um, but there came a shift um, to your new project, which is called 33 Charts. And I think you and I talked about this, I think it was maybe right around the time of Blog World Expo 2009, where kind of this change happened, and you're right. you're you're commenting more about medicine and social media, and and how did that all happen? That kind of shift to what you're what you're talking about and and doing commentary on now. Yeah, that's an interesting question, Mike. Because in 2006, I started a blog called Parenting Solved, and it's still uh, still out there. You just Google Parenting Solved, and you can see you know a few hundred posts that I made over a two to three year period. And when I started that blog, I started purely with a selfish intent of promoting this book that I had written called Colic Solved. And, and someone had said, you know, as an author, you really have to have your own blog, and you have, to be, uh, you have to be out there doing that. And so I did it, you know, just with the intent of selling books. And uh, got into it a couple of months, and uh, I wrote a blog post one day about, uh, about a Nestle product. And... Uh, um, what happened was my boss, who had been a consultant for Nestle at one point, got a call from Switzerland from the headquarters, and he wanted to know who I was and what I was all about. And at that point, I realized uh, the kind of platform I had um, as as a blogger. Um, and so I, I continued with Parenting Solved, but I kind of got discouraged because as a, as a pediatrician uh, and as a male, I found it very hard to, to kind of form community around me with the predominantly female readership that I had, and I just got a little burnt out with it and kind of got preoccupied and excited with social media uh, last year, early last year, and uh, saw that there were no physicians out there really talking about the issues that face physicians. You know, what happens when a, when a patient contacts you on Facebook? Uh, you know, how do you handle these, all these things that come up in the social space? And I just thought it would be exciting to write about it. And I've had a lot of fun with it. And uh, I've not taken it too seriously. It's been more of a place for me to experiment and think about ideas. Uh, you know, my blog isn't a publishing platform. 
I'm not trying to, you know, trying to make money or, or, you know, I don't have a business plan for it or anything like that. It's more of a place to experiment. So that's kind of how it all evolved, and it's been, you know, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and I'm, I'm just kind of looking at your front page here, and it's, it's a lot of things that uh, um, I think are important questions, uh, especially like physicians using uh, LinkedIn um, and using other type of sites. Uh, right on the top there, you talk about Evernote, and that's something I use uh, every day. And I, it's, it looks like it's a lot of a practical uh, type of information. Yeah, you know, I kind of jump, I kind of jump around with different stuff. I can't say that I have a really unified voice on the on the blog, Mike, because I, you know, I take, I do some of these real practical posts. Other times, I'm sort of, uh, you know, I've got this thirty thousand foot thinking. So it's it's kind of fun. I don't feel constrained, and um, you know, that LinkedIn question is really interesting. Um, it came up at around mm-hmm. the time of this meeting last week in Chicago. How come? We really don't see that many doctors using LinkedIn. It's kind of the perfect, perfect platform. But I got thinking about it, and as I say there in that blog post, uh, you know, physicians are really kind of hyperlocal. You know, they they move to Grand Rapids to practice general surgery, and their their referrals come from word of mouth and from their performance, and um, and so there are other 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 reasons listed there in the blog post. But it's kind of interesting, and uh, between myself and my, my blog and, and, and Dr. Val's blog, uh, Get Better Health, there were, there were a lot of comments, and uh, it drew a lot of uh, a lot of attention. Uh, yeah, and, you know, and I admit I've been uh, very uh, very lazy myself uh, as far as blogging and writing and text blogging and that type of thing. When I started, uh, um, it'll be I think four years coming up this summer. Um, I used to write every day and you know really have really. Um, well thought out uh, blog post, but uh, I've just been, I don't know what it is, whether it's uh, uh, just time or, you know, more focusing on this, or I just haven't been writing uh, as much, and uh, I kind of miss it. Well, I don't think, you know, I don't think you should feel bad about that, Mike. When when I'm talking to other doctors about, you know, how to take the leap into social media, one of the things that I I talk about is deciding where you're going to spend your time. Uh, You know, you and I have full-time jobs. Uh, You know, we really don't have the time to spend uh, put all the effort in that we see these social media experts uh, doing, and so I usually recommend that you, you you pick one or two types of platforms and you you focus on that. For me, it's my blog and Twitter. You know, I don't do a whole lot on Facebook. I know you do a lot more on Facebook. Uh, you're doing the you're doing the podcast, which is a it's a huge commitment to do it right. You have to really put the time into it. So um, I think what you're doing is the right way to do it. You kind of have to decide how you're going to allocate your time and where you're going to put your resources. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of felt myself kind of evolve, um, and uh, you know, I was really passionate about writing, and I'm not so much now, and uh, I'm still trying to innovate as far as this podcast and tinkering a little bit with video with YouTube and doing a little bit uh, with uh, uh, with Facebook and Twitter and uh, um, and uh, and uh, uh, audio uh, twittering. Um, you've kind of tinkered into the audio twittering with uh, with something uh, a platform called Cinch. Um, cinch casts and uh, how uh, how much fun is that for you? That, yeah, that's a lot of fun. You know, I saw Robert Scoble doing it, and I, I checked it out. And for those who are unfamiliar with it, it's uh, you know it's a platform for for micro podcasts, and they uh, the producers of the site really recommend that you keep your posts short and sweet. And uh, I've I experimented over the past couple of weeks, and I've really had a lot of fun with it. And I think it's something I'm going to going to experiment with a little bit more. Um, I'm not, it hasn't had a lot of attention, and I think it's the sort of thing where if you don't have a lot of 
peers and whatnot on that platform, it, you're, you're sort of screaming into space. But um, it's growing little by little, and it's and it's, it's kind of fun. You can do it in your iPhone, and um, yeah, I, I kind of see this as a way to leverage attention towards my blog. So what I've done is taken a couple of my blog posts and basically condensed them into three or four minute uh, audio, uh, you know, micro podcasts, and it's been kind of fun. Um, and since I'm all about uh, disclaimers, I should let you everybody know out there that uh, cinchcast.com is powered by Blog Talk Radio. So, uh, hey, you know, I'm not getting paid for this, uh, but I just think it's a great service. And uh, what's really cool about it is not only can you do uh, audio, but you can attach a picture on it as well, and you can have it cross-posted to Twitter and or Facebook, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, back on the issue of, of time allocation, you know, watching Rob Lambert's has been kind of interesting because he has his, uh, his podcast uh, that he started a year or so ago. And, you know, talking to him at Blog World Expo, I know it's been a challenge for him to kind of keep up the exact pace with his, his writing that he, that he had been doing along with the podcast. And I think it's just a good illustration about how you can only spread yourself so thin. You only have so much bandwidth, and I think you really have to focus your – Focus your time on 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 one good platform. Uh, absolutely. Um, our our guest is uh, Dr. Brian Vederbedian, and you can find uh, him at thirty uh, three charts uh, dot com. And um, let's kind of get into this a little bit here, uh, as far as uh, physicians and social media. Some of the stuff we're going to be talking about uh, next week. So uh, so when you talk to people or when you speak uh, to uh, a group, um, what do you tell them about why uh, physicians aren't uh, using or utilizing social media that much. Yeah, I think it's absolutely fascinating because, you know, I spend a lot of time on Twitter and have been blogging for some time, and when I'm working with my referral group of docs here, about 300 docs in the North Houston area, um, you know, I kind of get blank stares when I start talking about these things. It's, it's like they're completely in the dark as far as the 2.0 world. Um, and, I, you know, I, I've thought of quite a bit about it, and I think it stems for a, from a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, uh, there's, of course, the issue of time. Um, social networking, of course, requires, uh, requires time, and you've got to put the time in to get the reward back. Um, you know, physicians are also relatively, I don't want to say in, impatient, but they are impatient. Uh, you know, I had a peer that I set him up on Twitter, and he sent out a tweet, and he said, now what do I get, you know, and, I, you know, I tried to explain to him that it takes weeks and months of, of back and forth and uh, sharing with people to develop relationships that can be leveraged in some way in the future. And, I mean, finally, I think physicians naturally have an issue with transparency. You know, successful engagement in the social world requires some level of, uh, some level of transparency in uh, exposing yourself when you, when you render an opinion. Um, you know, a few, a few months back, I had a blog post, and I, I said to myself, I'm going to get some of my peers to, to go on and comment on this post because I know they're going to have an opinion on it. So I sent out some emails to about 10 or 15 of my peers. None of them commented. And so in the following few days, when I'd see them in the, in the physician's lunchroom, I said, hey, what what'd you think of that post? And they they're all jazzed up about it, and they all had firm opinion about it, and they had read it. When I asked them why they hadn't commented, they would start giggling, you know, as if, is if I asked them to pull their pants down or run around the hospital, you know. I mean, this issue about you know, rendering an opinion and exposing yourself, I think, I think for, a lot of, for a lot of these docs, it's a, it's a very intimate thing. You know, you and I, we're, we're used to just sort of sticking it out there and, you know, 
you do what you do, and I write what I write, and tweet what I tweet. And I think we 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 forget how scary it was when we first started doing it. You know. Uh, yeah, and uh, um, you know, naturally, people are uh, <clears throat> scared of what they're they don't understand. Uh, you know, there's always the whole, and I'll even ask you about this too, because there's been there have been some posts about this recently about uh, um, Facebook and physicians, patients, and privacy. Um, and is it really a violation of, of, of uh, privacy? Do you have a point of view on that? Well, you know, it's a, it's, it's a hot-button topic that comes up, and it's something that struck home with me a few months back when I was sitting at my desk over lunchtime. And I got friended on Facebook by a woman from the Woodlands, Texas, where I live. And I saw her picture, and I couldn't remember where she was from, and so I did what I normally do with strangers, and I say, hey, do we, you know, do we meet at a party? Do I, do, do I know you from somewhere? Very politely. And she came back immediately and said, no, but I have a 10-week-old baby who uh, is only taking in nine ounces of milk a day and won't stop screaming, and I read your book, and I need your help. And so here it was in a public forum. Of course, it was a direct message, but it's still not secure. I had kind of established a relationship with this woman, and so what I did immediately was I took it offline and uh, talked to her and saw the baby the next day and kind of got the baby squared away. Um, so these issues are coming up over and over again about, um, and this happens on Twitter too, parent, parents probably once or twice a month are trying to reach me on Twitter to ask me questions, uh, both established patients and people I've never seen from other parts of the country. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's posing a lot of challenges for us that we've never, never faced before. Um, and I think there aren't any real clear answers. You have to look at, look at it from a couple of perspectives. One is HIPAA. Um, the issue about, about discussing issues in a public forum, I think, in general, is, is just a bad idea. Uh, and you can say, well, the patients initiate it, then it's okay. Um, I think sometimes the patients don't think about um, what comes along with announcing all of your, your private medical issues in, in, a, in a public space. We all have what we call a digital footprint. And I think that uh, that's something we really need to be thinking about and considering. Uh, the healthcare attorneys say, well, if the patient initiates the contact with the doctor, then it's not a HIPAA violation, but it's all very, very unclear. So I think any dialogue about patient-specific issues should be left off the table. I also think that the emphasis on HIPAA regulations strictly, uh, I don't think it's enough. I don't think that physicians, you or I, should be discussing specific patient issues for example, if I see an interesting case at Texas Children's, um, even if I de-identify the information, I don't think that I should be out there talking about it. Because if I knew, or if, that, if I knew that, that mom knew that I was writing about her, you know, her curious child, to me that would be a breach. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Um, so there's the HIPAA approach, and then there's the the, the, the whole medical legal thing, and uh, of course, uh, engaging and giving advice and whatnot is just a loaded subject. So I think you have to be very, very careful. When you were more heavily promoting your book, uh, along with your website at the time, is that kind of how you dealt with those uh, questions? I imagine you got some emails back at that time asking specific questions about specific patients, about the, you know, yeah. um, whether their baby was at home, and is that how you kind of dealt with that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I'll never do this again. If you ever write a book as a physician, don't put an information email in the book. Um, um, but but I get probably probably one email a week probably three or four a month uh, from parents around the country, around the world. And, and the scenario is always the same. It's, in, it's a baby with intractable screaming uh, with a pediatrician who isn't paying attention or is ignoring the, 
the issues or whatnot, or they don't have a specialty care they can, they can access. And I I have a boilerplate response. I I simply can't offer medical advice over an electronic medium. Uh, it's a Texas State Board issue. It's our malpractice carrier, and I just have to stick by that. So I'll offer I'll offer some vague suggestions about finding a, a specialist in their area or some you know that's that sort of thing. But I don't do anything to be construed as a relationship. Um, so well, what did I, I? I am curious because I mean it, it seems like uh, I've seen a lot of people in the past uh, six months. The the people that I've seen out there as far as uh, uh, physicians who uh, normally uh, or blog or something like that, they're writing books as well. Uh, uh, what did you? Uh, how was the book writing experience, and, and and what did you learn from it other than not putting an email address uh, in the book? <laughs> yeah, uh, I yeah, that's that's a good question. I I. Um, Initially went, uh, you know, decided that I wanted to write this book because I had seen so many babies with with acid reflux disease, and I wanted to write a book that would serve as a resource for uh, for these parents who who uh, needed some guidance. I had a baby myself who suffered with pretty significant esophagitis, and that's what that's what uh, you know triggered me to to, to write it. And so uh, the process was really interesting. I found a literary agent. Um, I, I got a literary agent who shopped the book around around New York, and uh, I was blessed because we had about six or seven publishers who all wanted to buy the book, so it led to what's called an auction, which was a very interesting process where they, they auction and, and ratchet up the, the advance for the book. So that was kind of cool. Um, but what's really interesting about mainstream publishing with these big publishing houses is that they promote the, the daylights out of your book for about a month, and you know they're they're also releasing 300 of the books that year, and so they um, after about four weeks you're sort of yesterday's news unless you're a big big hit. So my advice to any any physician or pediatrician out there who wants to write a book, uh, if you land a deal with a major publishing house, you still have to treat it like a self-published book. And I've been beating the pavement for the past two or three years, pushing it, and we're in our fifth printing. That's only because it's a lot of work and. Uh, so there's a lot of lessons to be learned, and that's a whole whole other discussion, but it's an interesting one. Did you have to do a lot of rewrites for the publisher, or how was that experience? Um, no, it it um, we submitted once, uh, went through a couple of rounds with my editor, then it went through copy editing, which is where they actually do the formal grammar. But uh, my editor was really pleased with it. You know, she moved some moved some chapters around, that sort of thing. But uh, it was really interesting to see how a book gets published and. Uh, you know, to understand how just how difficult the book business is. These, and that was in 2006, 2007. Uh, from what I understand, the publishing industry, based you know, because of the the movement towards electronic books and whatnot, uh, you know, they're they're operating on such slim margins. These poor editors, you know, they won't they won't pick up books that that they don't think are really going to be su- really going to be successful. And so it's it's a real challenge for them and for authors who have a have a voice and want want to have something to say. Um, and it just popped up in the chat room here. Uh, someone mentioning um, a, a platform called iMed um, Exchange, um, and I think you're a little bit. Uh, I'm not that familiar with it, but uh, um, I think you're a little bit familiar uh, with that platform. Yeah, yeah. I, I was a user of iMed Exchange before it uh, before it went. Uh, it's it's a it's a physician platform. Um, um, a lot like Sermo or Osmosis, these are these are places where doctors can go and kind of engage with one another without 
uh, the outside world peeking in. And um, IMAT Exchange had been around for some time uh, before it went offline earlier uh, a few months back, and it's been in development in a version two, and they have just released in beta a new form of IMAT Exchange, and I'm on the beta because I was a previous user. And um, it's really amazing uh, when you compare it with uh, Osmosis or Sermo. Uh, it has a really, really sleek interface, a lot like uh, a lot like Facebook. Uh, it has a real, uh, real-time feel to it, a real dynamic back and forth feel to it. Um, it's still pretty early. Uh, they're kind of fleshing the, the shavings out of the pipes right now, but uh, they're they're adding new features uh, as each week goes by, and uh, the site's expected to go public, uh, or actually to go, to be opened and released, uh, I think towards the end of the summer. So if you're a physician. Um, it's something you really want to think about looking at. Um, I think it's really going to blow the doors off of everybody, and it's going to be the place, ultimately, uh, where, where physicians go to engage. You know, we talk about these doctors who aren't on Twitter, and there's, there's so few of us on, on Twitter. I think this platform is going to appeal to all those doctors out in America who, who fiddle around with Facebook um, and they kind of want a place to go to have this dynamic interaction with other doctors. And they have a lot of things planned. It's going to be really exciting. So I, I, I guess I just don't really understand. So how, so how do you utilize or how would a physician, how, do, how would a physician utilize iMedExchange? I mean, it's just completely social or? Yeah, it's totally uh, social. Just think about the things you would do in a hospital with other doctors, uh, sitting around the water cooler talking about cases. Uh, you know, again, it looks just like Facebook. So you can, you can post up a case or a question, um, you can direct it to a group of family doctors or pediatricians and all the people who follow you, just like on FriendFeed or Twitter, um, they're going to respond back hopefully in close to real time. So again, it looks just like, uh, it looks just like Facebook, and you, so you put, make your posts and all the responses are right underneath. It has a real 2.0 feel to it. If you look at you know, Osmosis and Sermo, it's kind of you post a case and then you disappear and then you come back at a later date and you see that people have commented on it and it's just very it's very different than the experience that I get on IMED Exchange. It's very, very dynamic and, and back and forth. And so um, I think, you know, when you, when you look at Sermo and Osmosis and the, and the adoption, which I don't think has been super great, um, I don't have exact numbers in front of me, but, you know, when I go there, I don't see a, a heck of a lot of activity going on when I look at it. Uh, but I think this is going to be the trigger where uh, all these other doctors are going to come and, and hang out, the ones who aren't currently on Twitter and, and uh, that sort of thing. So, so um, how have those other platforms like, uh, like Sermo, like what, what were their shortcomings and what, what, what were their limitations or you know, why, why didn't they work? Well, I think you know, part of it stems from the, the critical mass. I mean, I think that... Uh, uh, if you don't have quite enough doctors on there, certainly in your specialty, there's no socialization. Um, and ag again, I think that the, um, these other platforms don't allow for the, the back and forth uh, dialogue that I see on, on the beta of IMED Exchange. Okay? I can get news in, in one stream, almost like Facebook. I can get uh, my news from Mashable in addition to a commentary from these other doctors who are involved in the beta. So again, it's just like Facebook. I'm getting this live stream that I can create on my own. Um, it's also going to have live, uh, ultimately it's going to have live video conferencing that you can do with other physicians um, and, and a whole variety of features that they're releasing week by week. So it's, it's, it's kind of exciting to see it all evolve 
Um, they asked me to, to take a look at it when the beta came out, and I've, I've offered them some advice, and it's been exciting to see it evolve even over the past month. Uh, well, I just sent Darcy an email to get to try, try to get in, so uh, let me. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, Darcy check that the out next, too. Darcy, she's the community manager over there, and she's doing a, really doing a great job. Um, but uh, that, this may be something when it's when it's released, we may want to do a to talk about this even in, in length because I think it's gonna be big news, you know. Interesting. Um, our guest on the line here is uh, on Twitter at uh, Doctor Underscore V. This is uh, Doctor Brian Verdebedian from. Uh, Texas Children's uh, Hospital, and um, uh, you can find him at 33charts.com. Uh, so, Brian, let, let's kind of dive into this uh, uh, this uh, panel here next week. And then there's going to be there were some questions in the chat room. You know, this is kind of a pharma conference, and it is a pharma conference. Right. Um, and uh, it's going to be interesting the uh, the integration of uh, or intersection of uh, social media and physicians and um, uh, pharmaceutical marketers. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of thoughts have been going through your mind as far as you know how to kind of frame uh, the discussion for for what we're being asked there to do? Well, it's kind of interesting because when this you know this has come up with uh, the discussion with IMED Exchange and the, it's kind of the dialogue I've had with them is that the you of course I'm a little different than the average physician out there because I'm I'm so in, I spend so much time on Twitter you can you can ask my wife uh, for better or for worse uh, but. You know, what I do and kind of what the average physician does are two completely different things. And so I think we're in a good position to talk about what doctors are doing, but there's still the reality that we don't have major adoption and the, you know, the mainstream platforms are probably not the place to be getting after doctors. Um, and I think the, the future probably is going to come with whoever can create that, that physician vertical or that facilitated physician network that brings the doctors together. I think I'm, I'm seeing I'm seeing a slow creep of doctors engaged in Twitter, um, a lot on Facebook, but Facebook tends to be a fairly personal space. You know, I don't think that's appropriate. Uh, so the challenge is going to be, um, or the challenge in the short term is, um, uh, you know, finding ways to get to those doctors who are there, those key opinion leaders and whatnot. Um. Yeah, and, and I'm kind of looking at these questions too. Is that you know how to walk the delicate line between providing physicians with education versus marketing, how emerging technologies integrated into the physician workflow, and how marketers uh, can participate. And and what what I what I remember from this this kind of pre pre planning call that we had is that um, you know really kind of you know how to educate. Um, and I guess it's, that's kind of the question always, but it's just now digital, how to balance between education as far as what the new drugs and medicines are versus marketing, and there is kind of a fine line with that. But now it's more digital, and uh, I think it's going to be an interesting discussion. Yeah, and a further, you know, the further challenge, Mike, is the fact that if, if you follow me or look at, look at what happens on Twitter with the people that I follow, we're not, most of us aren't talking about our cases or our problems or our dilemmas with drugs, we're talking about uh, we're talking about all kinds of goofy things. You know what I'm saying? In fact, I'm when I when I think of myself in the social world, I'm really horizontal. I've got all these different worlds that I live in. I've got physicians, I've got writers, I've got medical marketers, I've got a few pharma people, uh, social media expert types, and I'm kind of interested in all of it. And I I don't want to just be you know, just be talking about medicine and that sort of thing. And uh, I think you're also going to see that 
evolving on these physician networks. I think that while it's physicians together in one space, we're not all talking about necessarily our clinical cases. And if you go to CERMO, um, I mean, CERMO's done a, be- a little better job than osmosis, but it, um, I-, I think that I, at least the emails that I get, there's a lot of discussion of clinical cases, and, and it doesn't necessarily attract me, you know. So it's a, it's a real it's, it is it is very tricky. I think if pharma thought that they had a hard time getting to physicians in uh, in the real world, uh, the virtual space for, you know really presents a lot of challenges. But it's going to evolve and it's going to play out. And um, I think you know bringing doctors in and talking about it, the ones who are here, the, and and understanding the space is probably the first place to start. And they're doing a good job by doing that. Well, what do you think about uh, pharmaceutical companies using social media outlets like Twitter and Facebook? Like, you know, I, I've seen in my kind of Twitter stream, I do have some pharma people that are following me, and, um, you know, I've even had them request to follow me on Facebook, and I've turned them down. Um, but yeah. uh, I've even had maybe one or two follow the uh, the Facebook page for the show, Um do, do you really do you see that kind of as a uh, an effective way for pharmaceutical companies to get to physicians, or how about even how about even email? You have to look at the the complexities of of social media. Uh, you have to understand the complexities of social media to understand how pharma should be operating there. And two good examples are are Greg Matthews, who recently left Humana. He's now at WCG in Austin, which is a big digital agency that that uh, does a fair amount of pharma work. Uh, and also Mark Monso from Johnson & Johnson. Uh, when, when Greg Matthews followed me on Twitter and we were getting to know one another, I had absolutely no idea he worked for Humana. And after probably six months, I finally figured it out and got to his blog and saw what he was doing in the Center for Innovation. And at no point during that several-month period did he say to me, let's talk about Humana or let's talk about this or that. I finally got to crumple it up, which was their, their blog and their center of innovation, through a relationship I had with him that was very honest and very sincere. He wasn't trying to sell me anything. And it's the same with Mark. Mark does a little bit more promotion of the J&J blog, but it's still pretty subtle. And I think that it's really important that independent of what happens with the pharma guidelines with respect to you know, promoting in the social space, these pharma companies have to be there, and they should be there, Engaging and understanding and being part of the community, um, even without promoting anything. That's 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 so important. Those relationships are so important uh, from a business side. Uh, the whole ethics of it is a whole other dialogue, whole other discussion. I've not seen anything unethical happen. I don't think it's against the law for a company to have relationships with doctors. Um, I think there are, uh, you know, it's a loaded issue, farmer and doctors. But I think uh, right now we're in a real period of of, of witch hunt where. Uh, anyone who's seen even with a pharma person is perceived as is is just uh, off the mark, and uh, you know I don't buy into that entirely. So, oh yeah, I, I've even got some uh, some uh, uh, comments on Twitter and also some emails um, saying that I have sold out by going to this conference, um, and uh, I am um, now an official part of the dark side since mm-hmm. I am going to since I'm going to this conference to help pharma. Uh, market to doctors, and uh, I found yeah. that very offensive. And uh, but you know that is the uh, that is the uh, that's the, uh, that it's is the thinking these things. mindset, and I think we, you know, like I said, it's not. It, it's a tricky. It's a tricky. It's a tricky area, and I think we do have to be careful. But uh, you know, I 
I'm with you and that uh, I don't have a particular issue with, with, with that. Yeah, I mean, even uh, extending it out to, uh, you know, there's all these medical meetings now, whether it's the AMA or probably AAP and, and uh, AAFP, and, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of people trying to distance themselves from this pharma money and, and for educational uh, meetings, and uh, that's been a, a hugely controversial, you know, within the walls of these uh, professional organizations that try yeah. to divorce themselves from this pharma money, and it's been an interesting discussion to try to follow. Right. The American Psychiatric Association has been uh, just basically, they've cut themselves off from a lot of it, and, they're, and, and it's, it's really hurting them to some extent. If you look at the American Academy of Pediatrics that where, where I'm involved, you know, the, the sponsorship money that uh, the AAP gets for this meeting makes, you know, helps it to go on. And if you've ever presented at the AAP, the AAP is so, so very strict about conflict of interest. Anything that happens on the exhibit floor is completely disassociated from the, uh, you know, what happens in the presentations. And they do a, do a fantastic job of really keeping the two separated. And, again, these companies have the right to buy a space and to market to pediatricians. Uh, you know, it's a free country, and uh, they can do that on the exhibit floor. Uh, you know, I do have a problem with them completely influencing the presentations. Um, but what's been, what's been suggested, by, certainly by the anti-vaccine uh, people who, you know, who spread propaganda on uh, vaccines, uh, you know, they suggest that this money is used to promote uh, a pro-vaccine agenda, uh, which is complete nonsense. Our, our meetings wouldn't go on without some level of sponsorship, and uh, it's a complicated and, 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 and tough subject, honestly. Um, yeah, I mean, since you brought up, we'll, we'll take a little bit of a detour here. I mean, what, what was, uh, what, what, uh, and I think you probably wrote about it too. What was your uh, uh, reaction to the, uh, uh, to the, to the study being withdrawn or debunked about uh, vaccines and uh, autism? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was a study that was that was published in Lancet uh, by Andrew Wakefield a few years back that started the whole uh, debate about the role of the MMR vaccine in autism. Um, all of the authors who were part of that uh, paper have withdrawn their own names. The paper was withdrawn from Lancet. Um, the, Andrew Wakefield, who authored the study, was being paid by a plaintiff attorney. He had a patent for another competing vaccine against the MMR. I mean, all kinds of conflict of interest. But yet, once the cat was out of the bag about the MMR, um, that sent, sent the whole world into a tailspin. Um, and it's it's only recently after a, a mountain-sized pile of evidence you know dismissing any association with vaccines and autism is the tide starting to turn uh, andrew wakefield was thrown out of the uk he was just last month pulled off of the the the, the general medical register which is like being disbarred um, he was at the thoughtful house in austin texas which is a a private house and he was thrown he was he lost his job there very, very recently, or left there under some uncertain terms, um, or resigned, or I don't know exactly what, this, what the situation was. But I think we're finally seeing an end to this chapter on the link between vaccines and autism. Um, there'll always be the, the loud minority that's, that's, that's going to talk about it, but I think it's, it's slowly quieting down. Um, and I just saw this week um, from uh, KevinMD.com and MedPage Today, um, by uh, 
uh, John uh, Geber, Geber, the title is uh, California Pertussis Epidemic May Be Caused by Vaccine uh, Refusal. And, uh, and part of this article says uh, as of June 15, 2010, uh, 910 cases have been confirmed in uh, California. And there was also a, a quote from uh, one of our local uh, children's hospital here in uh, Akron Children's Hospital. And uh, there's a comment there that there, there's an outbreak here in Ohio that is bad as California. So there are definitely consequences to refusal of this uh, uh, vaccine, and we're starting to see them now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, you know, you're seeing these pockets of uh, of communicable diseases popping up, and you know, part of the problem is that um, the um, these diseases, uh, uh, pertussis and what have you, current generation of parents has never seen the devastating effects of Haemophilus influenza meningitis. Now, I was at the tail end of this in, in medical school, and we saw cases of H. flu meningitis devastating. I have a couple of 18-year-old patients who suffered with it as, as, as babies, and they're kind of the tail end of that generation. And uh, you, you paraded those kids through Oprah. Uh, there would be, a, there'll be a, a, a real quick change about the way we see these diseases and the devastating effects that they can have. Um, and uh, it, you're following a lot, a lot of this, uh, these pediatric topics uh, as well. Is there, is there anything uh, kind of uh, that you've been following closely as far as from a clinical standpoint um, from AAP or? Um... Let me make one point, Mike, about this. Just following up on this vaccine issue and uh, the commit, the the obligation I think that pediatricians have to be in the social space. And let me just give you an example. If you go on right now, go on Google, and you enter vaccines and autism, the first couple of pages you're going to see a lot, uh, a, a lot of input from a very, very loud minority of anti-vaccine uh, zealots. Uh, if you look at what's been written by pediatricians, like I said, there are very few pediatric blogs out there. Uh, Seattle Mama Doc in Seattle and Dr. Gwen in, in Boston, very, very few. Um, but if, if there are 60,000 members of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and if we, each one of those, once a year published a 300 to 500 word blog post somewhere, we would completely rule the search engines. So I think it gets back to the idea that we as physicians have an obligation to be out there in the social space, blogging on Twitter, on YouTube, getting the story right and answering the questions and countering the, you know, all the stuff that's out there. There's a question in the chat room here from uh, Living Well Doc, and it goes, uh, do you think parents who refuse vaccines for their children would be willing to get Tdap, which is uh, uh, immunization, uh, for themselves to indirectly protect their children? I haven't seen any kind of literature on that. I haven't either, and I practice, again, primarily gastroenterology, so I probably am not the best expert to drill down on the vaccine stuff, but I think that I'm, I'm not sure that that's the answer is to find a way around uh, to passively immunize kids and to exploit herd immunity for this, this sort of thing. Um, I think we have to get down to the root issue, which is, uh, you know, there's no proven effect from, 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 uh, from the use of vaccines. And now that the, the whole issue with thimerosal has been debunked, you know, thimerosal has been out of vaccines for three or four years now, and uh, rates of autism have not changed. So now the anti-vaccine people are saying there's now immune overload, which is just another excuse for finding a way to, to, to go against vaccines. And so it's a tricky issue because I know it's hard. It's hard for these young parents. I mean, I, I, 
work with these families, and they're, they're frightened, and they've, they've been frightened, but we have to help families understand what the realities are, and that's why we need to be out there. Um, our guest is uh, Dr. Brian Verabedian, uh, pediatric gastroenterologist uh, at Texas Children's Hospital, also uh, assistant professor of pediatrics at the Baylor College of Medicine. You can find his website at 33charts.com. Uh, and, um, yeah, you kind of touched on it a little bit there, I, I, and I've been talking about it on the show here um, over the past few weeks, specific to my specialty, family medicine, but I think there's a, uh, and we've talked about it too, is there's a real opportunity here uh, for physicians uh, to be advocates for uh, medicine and advocates for our specialty. I've been seeing some things, especially with this whole Medicare um, uh, fix or the doc fix um, that Congress is kind of going back and forth on, and there's been a lot of uh, uh, frustrated docs out there trying to mobilize other docs. Um, so, uh, I, you know, there's a real opportunity, uh, and it's another reason why physicians should be utilizing social media um, to not only educate themselves, but to um, you know come together to to educate patients about some of these uh, uh, very important issues. And I think advocacy is a real piece that I think yeah. um, that physicians really need to know about. Yeah, even before social media, it was said that getting doctors together was like herding cats. And uh, you know, and certainly in the state of Texas, if you look at the capital, the chiropractors have such an incredible force in Austin. Uh, you know, legislatively. Physicians, you can't get them together to, to get anything done as far as political action is, is done. It's really, really frustrating. And you're absolutely right. Uh, I think social is a great place to, to pull doctors together. Uh, you know, the night that the, 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 Medi the Medicare cut was announced, I was on, active on the Twitter stream that night, and no mention of it. Uh, you know, e what's remarkable is the e-patient advocates who are out there advocating for the rights of patients no concern for this whatsoever. The direct impact is on these patients, you know, and so um, it's just a funny world. And I think I do think that once doctors do get more of a presence in the social space, uh, we need to leverage that in ways that that work for us. Uh, so, uh, so I guess just having a little bit of fun here, uh, just trying to brainstorm here. So, if you and I kind of, well, you know, like we're rulers of the world as far as trying to mobilize physicians, like, um, you know. I'm trying to think of ways to try to do that, and and uh, and I think a, a big portion of that is you know there's a lot of physicians who are uh, scared and afraid of technology in the first place. Forget about social media. I mean, you know, a lot of them won't even touch a computer. Um, but uh, a lot of there's got to be a lot of education as far as even people with a comfort level for even any level of technology. And do you think that would kind of be a first step to try to get? Uh, physicians on board with some of this stuff? Yeah, but it's, it's hard to just make someone comfortable right away. I think a couple of things are going to change that. Number one, you're going to see the, the newer generation segue into mainstream, and so this is a digital generation that's going to be far more comfortable with things. Um, secondly, I think a, a, another option is, is mobile. Seventy-five percent of physicians are currently using smartphones, so I think you may see a leapfrog um, out of the computer into the mobile phones, and I think that may be a way to get them in. Um, and then finally, when we're thinking about getting physicians into social, we really have to think about value. You're not going to get a physician onto Twitter unless they see some value in being there. Okay, the business people do. The business people understand relationships. Physicians, less concerned about relationships with their peers. Uh, but if you do have, again, this gets into the IMED exchange and the, the value that it may bring having more than just simple things there, 
once you get doctors there, they'll start to talk. It'll be a water cooler effect, and people will start to hang out there. So you have to have something that draws doctors into the space. Um, I mean, that's going to be very challenging because even in, at my hospital here, um, you know, docs don't even get together for in-person social, uh, and that's that's a challenge too. Just trying to get people together on a, just one medical staff, um, trying to get people together in different cities on the internet. That's going to be very um, challenging too. And I'm just trying to brainstorm ways of trying to see, hey, you know, how can we, you know, get people to know more about this? I know from a generational standpoint, that's going to be uh, that's going to be a little bit easier coming along, but uh, um, it, it's going to be real difficult. And I'm I'm just kind of banging my head against the wall as far as trying to find ways to to get more docs involved in, in social media platforms. Yeah, again, I think the issue is value and what they, they got to come for something that's going to give them, give them something back, be it uh, a video presentation, be it, uh, be it uh, dialogue with specialists that they don't have access to. Certainly in pediatrics in my area, um, access to pediatric gastroenterologists is really, really tricky. So we're, uh, I know in this beta version we've been talking about ways that we can get uh, create a water cooler effect with PD, with myself and other pediatric gastroenterologists to be a resource for pediatricians who can't get uh, can't can't get uh, you know patients in or what have you. This issue of relationships is really interesting because you know you're right um, about getting doctors into meetings. It's 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 really really tough. Um, I know a generation ago. Um, Physicians used to go out at night and socialize at their local pediatric societies and medical societies. And for pediatricians, schmoozing with the OB/GYNs was a, a way of life. You had to do it to get babies, and without babies, you'd die. Uh, but the younger right. physicians are coming into prefabricated practices. They're nine-to-five workers. They're working for these large organizations, and it's not their business. And so business relationships are far less important. I mean, I think this generational thing, I mean, I think it's a two-edged or three-edged sword. I mean, it's like, well, yes, they're more technology, but they're not, this generation is not joiners, as they were in past generations, and uh, they're more focused uh, on family, which I have no problem with, um, but the less focus on work makes it more difficult for docs to want to come to um, medical meetings. Right. You know, Pharma has faced this, too, with their dinner programs. You look at uh, speaker programs and dinner programs, uh, attendance has just dropped off entirely because people are more concerned with spending time with their family again, which is great. But it's creating challenges for, for people who want to access doctors, and I think that the way to do that is not going to be in, not going to be in restaurants and whatnot. It's going to be via uh, sponsored events in a, in a friendly, approachable environment and platform, and that's going to create real value. Um, I know if I can listen to a specialist talk about something that I need to know about, um, I'm going to be there. You know, um, I, 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 I get these uh, marketing things all the time as far as registering for, um, you know, webinars and that type of thing for CME. Do, do you participate in some of that stuff? I mean, you know, not not like as a presenter, but as a consumer. Um, yeah, I have. I've done some of the tele ones and. Um, um, I've been involved in a WebEx one on, on, on you know, WebEx is basically a, a video platform where you can give a PowerPoint presentation with live audio and people can chime in and do a chat a lot like this, but you can watch a, watch a presentation. And we had something like 120 people registered at that, on that, on that uh, particular presentation, which is far more than the 10 or 15 people you get at a dinner program for a, for a, for a pharmaceutical company. 
So I think that's probably the way of the future, um, and I think these dinner programs are probably going to go the way of the dinosaur. Uh, I'm just kind of curious. I have seen some pilot uh, programs out there as far as uh, telemedicine for specialties, um, especially for rural areas. Have have you uh, been approached, or has has your hospital or the group been approached by that? Have you participated in any kind of telemedicine, uh, clinical medicine? No, yeah, it's really interesting. I gave a lunch and keynote address in Palm Springs last year at the American Telemedicine Association. And I didn't know anything about telemedicine. When I went out there, I was blown away. And right when I came back to Texas Children's, I realized at one point we'd had a telemedicine program, and we're just starting to resurrect that again. Um, and interestingly, there is a gargantuan amount of bailout money available for telemedicine. I mean, they can't even – they don't even know what to do with it. They, there's, just, there's just so much – federal funding available for the initiation of exactly this sort of thing. So it's something we're looking at at our hospital, and um, I think it's, it's really the, the, the future. Uh, there's an interesting uh, site called Breakthrough. Uh, it's, a, it's a startup beta site by a young kid who just graduated from Stanford, and what he does is the technology has reached a point where people can do psychotherapy via these protected lines on, uh, you know, on, on the Internet. So you go to his site, you pick a therapist, and you do therapy uh, via, via video. It's like Skype. And so if you're, in small, if you're in the panhandle of Texas in a small town and you've got obsessive-compulsive disorder, you don't want to go to your local clinic because everyone's going to talk about you. So you can pick, this, uh, pick a therapist, uh, look at his introductory video, and do it all, uh, all, over, the, all over the computer. So um, I think... Telemedicine is going to become more mainstream via via home computers and whatnot, and uh, I think it's it's really going to be exciting. Um, okay, so our guest is uh, Dr. Brian Vetterbedian. You can find him on Twitter at at Dr. Underscore V, and uh, also on Cinchcast.com, and that, that's kind of fun. And also his uh, website 33charts.com, uh, and um, uh, I can't think of anything else. We, we've covered, uh, as we did when you came on before, you know, a, a wide array of, uh, of, of topics here tonight. Um, and uh, um, was there anything that I forgot, or was there anything that, that you wanted to kind of bring up or chat about uh, uh, before we start closing up the show here tonight, Brian? No, no, it's really exciting. I think there's a lot to, there's a lot to talk about, and I think that uh, seeing what happens with physicians in the social space is going to be really exciting I think there's a lot of developments uh, evolving that we've talked about, and uh, to see it all play out in our career is going to be pretty exciting. Um, and so uh, I'm pretty optimistic about the future, and I think all this is going to uh, bring us closer to patients and um, reinvigorate our interest in medicine. Um, and, yeah, for everybody out there, I mean, yeah, follow us next week. I want to roll over out there at, uh, in San Francisco. Um, Brian and I will definitely be tweeting. It'll be kind of funny because uh, when we're doing our panel, we'll probably be tweeting during the panel, and we'll probably be talking to each other on Twitter, even though we'll be sitting next to each other. It'd be hilarious. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so Brian, thank you so much for coming back on the, on the show here. And yeah, at, at some point, yeah, I'm going to do, yeah, I'm going to check out this uh, this beta here and uh, check that out. And uh, I guess when it, uh, I guess when it becomes more open or becomes uh, more widely promoted, maybe we'll bring you back and uh, yeah. talk about that because I'm always curious about uh, different type of social platforms uh, for physicians. Because uh, there's got to be different opportunities out there to uh, let physicians know about social media. I'd, I'd love to. It'd be a lot of fun. 
All right, Brad. So thank you so much for coming for the show. I'll see you next week. You know, we're going to have a good time, and uh, um, then I will see you out there. All right, man. I'll, I'll see you then. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, thank you to our guest, uh, Dr. Brian Veritabedian, great guy, and uh, definitely check out his website there, 33charts.com. Check him out on Twitter, Dr. Underscore V, and uh, he's also on Cinchcast, and uh, I'll uh, put that link up there um, maybe on the show notes for this show. Um, it's a good time. Uh, it's a good time. I want to thank everybody for for uh, for joining us here in the uh, chat room here this evening. Good crowd here for uh, tonight, um, and um, uh, I'll give do a little roll call here as I close up the show here. And I do want to let everybody know uh, that I'm going to be ending a little bit early. I knew I do know I have about 25 minutes scheduled here, but I'm going to be ending this uh, show early. I'm going to be having a post show over on UStream uh, at DrAnonymous.tv, and I'll put that uh, uh, link up in the uh, chat room. Uh, but uh want to thank uh, CodeBlog um, out there from the West Coast, uh, Darcy Ann, Dr. V, our guest, uh, Dr. Synonymous, Dr. West from the great city of Chicago, joining us here this evening. Uh, Aaron Breedlove, Faith Ignited, Friggin' Bed. What's up there, Friggin' Bed? Uh, also, J-Man, a longtime uh, fan of the show. Really appreciate that. Living Well Doc, hey, thank you for joining us. Liz, MedStudent31, Autobox, and also Ramona, longtime fan of the show. Thank you, Ramona, for joining us uh, here uh, this evening. And uh, I will be uh, closing out here with a song. And just let everybody know, if you like what you uh, listened here, uh, go to DrAnonymous.com and uh, join me on Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be a little bit different uh, uh, flavor of the show. Uh, we'll be having our good friend Kat, who is Faith Ignited in the chat. We'll be, uh, we'll be not talking about uh, very many things medical. It's going to be just kind of a fun night talking about uh, some entertainment stories and um, uh, some other type of stories uh, as well. And this will be the last uh, Thursday night show here uh, for a while, taking a break here in uh, uh, July uh, from the show, but I'll be definitely back in August uh, with more uh, new shows uh, here. Go to DrAnonymous.com to uh, check uh, those out. And uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah, oh, thir- yeah coming up in August, the three-year anniversary for this show, and here in June, the four-year anniversary from uh, my website slash blog. Very excited um, about all of that. So uh, I will close out with this song here, and I will see everybody for the post show um, over at DrAnonymous.tv to uh, chat a little bit more. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Dr. Anonymous, and uh, to find out more information about me, just Google Dr. Anonymous. I'm the, uh, the top search uh, term uh, there, and but you can also go to Dr. Anonymous. Dot com as well. So uh, thanks, everybody. Have a great summer. I will see you back here on Saturday night. Uh, if you're not able to join us on Saturday, I'll see you back in August. Well, I'll be bringing the show back here with more fun and excitement. Good night, everybody.
you can't stay.